Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. There's lots of fruit that can be born in a church that's not eternal. It doesn't last. There's lots of fruit that can be born in our life by doing good things that's not eternal. It doesn't last. But there is a way and there is a place to produce eternal fruit, and I want to point to that today, and I want to call us into higher partnership. You know, Dave mentioned today, I was thinking to myself, well, the Holy Spirit's on this. Um, Dave was mentioning about the shift in seasons and the call that we have at this moment from the Father to partner with Him in deeper way in corporate prayer. I believe 100% in my heart that is the call of the Father for us. We have to come up higher. There is a more that he's speaking over us. Do you feel that? Do you sense that? That he has more for us, but we're not really there yet. And one of the things that is keeping us from getting there, I'm convinced, is the fact that we need to engage with him on a higher level in corporate prayer and coming together. And I'm going to try to make that case from Scripture. It's really easy to make the case from Scripture because it's all through there. But he's calling us to partner together. Everybody has a supply to put in, right? We talk about that with spiritual gifts and with the grace that's on our life. But there's a supply that you have if you're a believer in Jesus that is a piece of the authority that he has when he rose from the dead that abides in you and no one else. And if you don't put that into the supply, then we don't all have the fullness of what he's calling us to. And that's the truth. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul, who was caught up to heaven and had revelations that you and I would love to hear, but that he didn't share in the Scripture because the Lord forbid him to, he had an understanding of being in Christ and an understanding of what it meant to actually be a believer in Jesus that none of us in here probably have on that level. I mean, he left us his writings, thank God. But he had a tremendous understanding of the authority of the believer. Would you agree with me? He's the one who taught about the authority of the believer in in the New Testament, especially in the book of Ephesians. Why would that man who was gifted on the level that he was, who heard the gospel directly from the Lord Jesus, who was caught up into the third heaven and spoken to directly by God, why would he ask all of the churches who had some of the youngest and most immature believers in them, pray for us? There's at least 10 times in the letters of Paul that he asks for the other believers to pray for him. You think it was just a religious thing? No, he knew that he needed that, that he couldn't make it on his own, that his own prayers were good and powerful, but they weren't sufficient to get the job done that the Lord had called him to do. It was too big for him, but it wasn't too big for the whole body of Christ. And so the Lord is wanting us to understand that the call that he has on each of us as someone who carries the authority of Jesus He wants us to speak it out together and to come together in corporate prayer and let that come forth to bring forth the purposes of God. And if we don't do that, there's not a plan B in Scripture that I see. John 15, verses 7 and 8, and then verse 16, we'll use this as a launching pad here, and then we're going to go to the book of Acts. John 15, verse 7 and 8. If you 
abide in me and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And what I want you to get here, and we're going to see it again in verse 16, is the connection between bearing fruit and prayer. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, it's eternal, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You see the connection in both of those passages? There's a connection between fruit that remains and a praying people, a people that abide in Jesus and take what he puts inside of us and putting it forth. And our problem in America, honestly, and in the West, is that we're very individualistic, and so we have our thing going on with Jesus. It's me and Jesus, and we have a thing going on. And so most Christians, and I've, I read Barna surveys, and they're very depressing, um, but I think that they represent something where we need to see our own lack. One of the Barner surveys is that most Christians would admit that they have some kind of a prayer life, that they pray sometimes sporadically, sometimes more often, but hardly any Christians, I mean the percentage was minuscule, single digits of Christians that said that they regularly gathered together and prayed with other believers. Because we're individualistic and we think, well, if I have a prayer life, it's really about me. And, and I want to break some news to you today. Your prayer life is not just about you and your needs and your walk with Jesus. It's about the global purposes of God, the bigger purposes of God that are bigger than you. It really is. So we need to own that and embrace that, that we have a call to be part of something that's way bigger than our needs, way bigger than even our walk with Jesus, as important as that is. God is calling us as a people to come together and to pray. I read of an evangelist from India, prominent guy. His first time in America, he was invited to preach at a megachurch on a Sunday morning, preached to 3,000 people in the congregation. And during that morning session, the pastor of the megachurch got up and invited people to come to the midweek prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And the brother from India, of course, was excited about that because he figured there's going to be 2,000 people at that prayer meeting. He got to the meeting at 7 o'clock and they told him, well, it's actually not in the sanctuary. It's in this prayer chapel, which sat about 500. He thought, well, this is still going to be good. He got in there at 7 which is when the meeting was supposed to happen, 7.15, there were zero people there except for him. The leader didn't get there till 7.45, and when they all trickled in at 8 o'clock, there were seven people there. And he said to himself, so, so this is perspective from America independent, it's me and Jesus alone, from other parts of the world where they get this. Like, we need to get together and pray and cry out to Jesus together. We need to put in our supply together. And the supply that you carry, my brother and my sister, is not just for you. It's for the global purposes of God as well. 
So we need to come together and to pray together and to join hearts together because the authority that you carry, I don't have. And the authority that I carry, you don't have. When Jesus rose high above all principalities and powers and every name that's named in Ephesians chapter one, it says this, and God gave him, Jesus, to the church as the head over all principalities and power. Everything is beneath his feet. What does that mean that God gave the son to the church as the head of all things? It means the authority that Jesus has. And how much authority does he have? He has all? He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And the father gave him to you and to me, to us corporately, as the head. So the father's saying, here's the one who conquered. Here is the one who's worthy to open the seals and to take the scroll. He has the title deed to the earth and everything that is the purposes of God for the earth and for heaven. And I'm giving him as a gift to the church. And so the authority that resides in the son of God is now distributed not just to a few, not just to apostles and prophets, but to every little person. That's why Paul asked every little person in every little church. Most of them in the New Testament had less than 50 people in them because they met in homes. Take the newest believer. I need them to pray for me. I'm going out to preach the gospel, and if you don't pray, it's not going to have the effect that God wants it to have. Why? Because the Father ordained it that way so that each of us would be part of his purposes coming to fruition. This is why we need to pray together. Another depressing survey of Barna. Survey of pastors. He listed 12 priorities on this survey. Can you guess which number of priority the pastors in this country rated prayer? Guess. Twelve. That's a real thing. This is not a beat down. This is not a guilt trip. Often when we talk, so, so usually prayer and evangelism, giving, maybe the third, those three are the ones that tend to, pe- you know, people feel built beat down and this is a guilt trip. This is not a guilt trip. This is an invitation from the God of the universe for us and and the purposes that he has for us in heart of the Father have not been fulfilled. We're on the edge of something where he's wanting to shift us up, but honestly, he's saying, I'm not going to do that until you all put in your supply and bring the thing that the Son of God gave to you. And so, I'm making a call, and we put out a call as elders for us to be part and to partner with him more in corporate prayer. This is not a guilt trip. Guilt doesn't work as a good, manip- as a good form of motivation. How many have discovered that? It, it only lasts for a short time, and it really doesn't stay. It has no staying power. But hearing the invitation of the Father inside of your own heart and the purposes that he has for you, that will carry motivation. There is no greater motivation in in my experience than the pleasure of God. When I feel the pleasure of God about something, I just want to keep doing that over and over again. I'm like the rat where they wired his brain on the pleasure spot and then they wired it to the bar and he keeps hitting it and he feels that pleasure going on and he just goes like that until he finally just collapses on the bottom of the cage. It's a real experiment. 
That's what the pleasure of the Lord is in our heart. And so I want to call us to a higher place than what we have had. Acts chapter 1. There's four corporate prayer meetings in the book of Acts. I want to, Lord willing, look at a couple of them today. But, but this is no hype. These four corporate prayer meetings in the book of Acts literally changed the course of history. They changed the course of history. They changed the course of history in the world. That's not hype. I despise hype and exaggeration, right? It gets on my nerves. It gets on my last good nerve. I'm like, just tell the truth. I'm telling you the truth. These four corporate prayer meetings in the book of Acts changed the course of history, and they were gathered together praying together for the purposes of God to come to pass. And I want us just to glean some of the lessons that we can glean from these passages. So Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read starting in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 14. It says, the first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the, the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, does, does that phrase, whenever I read that, that phrase jumps out at me. Jesus now has been raised from the dead, right? And he's giving the commission and the orders to the apostles, and it says that he did it by the Holy Spirit. The resurrected Son of God, who is God in the flesh, still gave orders to the apostles by the Holy Spirit. Why does that strike me? Because he's raised from the dead. What does he need? But he still did everything. This, Jesus was the greatest, the purest man, the most gifted man, the most closely connected man to God that ever lived. Would you agree with me there? But he was also, I want to declare to you, the most dependent man who ever lived. He was constantly leaning in and depending upon the Holy Spirit. And honestly, that is the secret to having a prayer life and a corporate prayer life, is trusting in the breath of God. Because look, you can't do it yourself. How many of you know that? When I was a young believer, I read books on prayer, and I thought, I'm going to be Joe Prayer. E.M. Bounds, John Rice, these guys that put it down there, and I felt half guilty and half excited, and this prayer life's really going to happen, and I decided right then, and I told the Lord, and I made him a vow. I'm going to pray for two hours a day, and I wish I could have heard the voice from heaven that said, I don't think so. That lasted for a couple days, and I'm like, I can't do it. I don't have the steam to do this. I don't have the gas to do this. Like, how do people do this? This is super boring. What in the world? Anybody relate? Okay. Corporate prayer. Ah, oh, this is so boring. Listen, this is not about us. Let's get that first of all. But the issue with boredom is with our own flesh. And because we haven't trained our spirit to actually be connected with the Lord. The key to all prayer is connection with the Holy Spirit. If Jesus, after he's resurrected, is still operating by the Holy Spirit, giving him the orders to give to the apostles, that's so amazing to me. 
How much more do we need to lean into the Holy Spirit? That's why the scripture over and over, and we'll look at some of these verses, says pray in the Spirit. It's by praying by the influence, by the power, by the movement, by the breath of the Holy Spirit inside of us. You go, how do I do that? I don't know how to tell you. There's not three easy steps. It's just you have to do it. This is like the word of the Lord through Nike. Just do it. This is how you learn to pray. You just do it. And I'll tell you, you get around people that can actually pray, and you'll learn how to do it. I learned how to pray by hanging around with Marie Jenkins. And I watched what she did. I thought, oh, that's a little freaky. That's a little strange. But I learned by watching. And here's the beauty of corporate prayer. If you struggle with prayer, here's where you can learn because there's people who have invested a lot of their life in walking with Jesus and praying. And they can help you to love to pray. There's a connection with the Holy Spirit and it begins to be a flow of grace. And then when you're done with a prayer meeting, you start out cold and dry and you start out bored and you just tell your mind, shut up. We're here to do the Lord's business. But by the end of the meeting, this has happened to me hundreds of times, and probably you if you've prayed much. By the end of the meeting, you feel like, whoa, come on, let's do that again. Let's do that again. I feel the grace and the flow of God's breath in my heart and my soul. Come on, Lord, what are you gonna do next? But you started out like, this really sucks. This sucks. You have to get past that if you're going to be the person in prayer that God has called you to be. Because there is a veil of flesh that you have to pass through when you pray. That's a real thing. Yeah. So Jesus gave orders by the Holy Spirit. I love this reading in the Gospel of Mark, even the beginning of Gospel of Mark. This is so beautiful and so powerful. The most dependent man, I bet you've never put that title on Jesus, but he is the most dependent man who ever lived, dependent on the Holy Spirit. He starts out, he's having a great day. He's preaching the Gospel. He's going and healing people, heals Peter's mother-in-law casting out demons. The whole city's thronging to him. They said that the whole city was at the doors trying to get in. Have a long day like that. Jesus goes, they go to, to bed at night. He says he gets up a great while before dawn. And he goes to a solitary place to pray and to be with his father. And by the time the disciples wake up and smell the coffee, they go, where's Jesus? And they knew where he went to pray, and they went out and found him, and they said, Lord, the whole city is looking for you. Where are you? He's like, you know what? We're not going back there today. The Father says, we're going somewhere else. They're like, going somewhere else? What are you doing? You could have a mailing list like you can't believe. These people love you. They're throwing, go, that's not what the Father said to do. I'm going somewhere else. It didn't make sense except to God. Beautiful. All right. It's hard not to get stuck in the book of Acts, right? Verse 3. To these, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So, Take in this scene. Jesus is raised from the dead. For 40 days, he taught them. He personally 
Walk them through. Now that I'm raised from the dead, here's what's going to happen. He talked to them about the plan. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now, about 10 days. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it time? Is it this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you, this is what you need to focus on. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, even the remotest parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking at him, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So, They saw all of this, but Jesus told them, wait, you're not quite ready yet. The promise of the Father is poised to be given to you. This is going to change the whole world. But wait. Wait for what? You're not ready yet. Why didn't he just cause the Holy Spirit to fall on them at the exact same time that he ascended to the Father? Like, why not? And I want to suggest to you that there was 10 days. They didn't know what day it was going to be. But Jesus knew they needed time to pray together to get their hearts prepared for the more of God that was coming. There's something that happens in corporate prayer that gets our heart ready in anticipation, in faith, and just in tenderness and sensitivity to the more that God has. And I'm convinced that at this moment in our history and heart of the Father, we're at this place where the Father is calling us. He keeps telling us there's more. He keeps telling us the tide is rising. He keeps telling us, I've got more for you, and we feel it in our gut. But he's saying, your heart has to be rightly prepared for the moment when the more comes or you won't be able to receive it the way that I want you to. So this is where they were. And when they returned to Jerusalem, verse 12, from the Mount of called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and all of his brothers. Why, Jesus? Just pour out the Holy Spirit. Let's get on with this. No, there's one thing that corporate prayer does for us is that it prepares our hearts to be able to receive the thing that he's going to send and it not crush us. And, And we don't squander it. Revival history is one of my loves. But there's lots of bad news in that, just like in the Barner surveys. 
You see the fails over and over again. And one of the fails in revival history is that the people weren't necessarily ready to contain it. The people are the wineskin when it comes to revival. And if their heart is not ready and it's not strong, then that will burst. And what God has intended to be poured out gets squandered and wasted, and he's not willing to do that. And so for us, we need to, what did they do when they went to the upper room? They didn't know how long this, right? Jesus didn't tell them it's going to be 10 days. He said, not too many days from now. Jesus wisely doesn't give them a date. He goes, what I want you to do, forget about the time. I want you to engage with your heart. Get together. I want you to pray and seek the face of God. It gets your focus right. Then your hearts will be ready for what I'm about to pour out. I like this translation of verse 14 from Robert Gundry. He says the word devoted actually means engrossed in. So let me just read it that way. They were engrossed in prayer day and night, waiting for what the Father had. So if we put that word on it, is that something that we can relate to? Like, is, is that our default? So what does it mean to be engrossed in prayer? Well, this is a process that happens, but we have to start somewhere. It becomes our default. It becomes the thing that we do no matter what. And you're going to see that in the book of Acts. Whenever there was a need that came up, whenever something happened, their default was to get together, run together. Now, I like to walk. I'm, I'm, I'm the introvert guy. I love to walk and pray. I've always loved to walk outside and pray by myself. Sometimes walking around our block the other day, I was walking there and I'm just, I'm praying in the spirit, walking down and my wife comes up behind me and scares me. I'm like, I'm praying, Okay. She goes, yes, praise God. <laughs> but there is something in the heart of God where he wants us as his people to come together and to pray. So the first lesson from the first corporate prayer meeting is we have to have heart preparation in order to receive the more that God is getting ready to send. I believe that's where we stand right now at Heart of the Father. I do. That's why we're putting out this corporate call. Oh, we're asking for you to come to one prayer meeting a month, okay? It's really not a huge commitment, y'all. It's not a huge commitment. If you can come more than that, that's awesome. But there's a synergy that happens in prayer. Have you not experienced it? When you get together and everybody's praying and we're all going in the same direction and our hearts get knitted together and there's a power that gets released that you don't necessarily have in your own prayer closet. Because there's a different purpose. But we're talking about the bigger purposes of God. And that's why corporately we need that. That's why, why, why did Paul say he knew the gospel was the power of God for salvation, right? Well, just go preach it then, Paul. He's like, no. I need you to pray for me that when I speak, I speak with boldness like I ought to speak and that the word of the Lord runs swiftly and accomplishes its work and prospers because that's what we need, the body of Christ, to pray that the word of the gospel goes forth. It's not enough just to send Bibles, although that's wonderful. It's not enough just to send evangelists, although that's wonderful. 
But unless there is the power of the Holy Spirit to break open blind eyes and hard hearts, they will not hear or see. And it will not be as effective as it should be. He's calling us. I pray, and I've been praying over this morning, that you would feel the drawing and the call of the Father. Yeah, just try. If you haven't done this and you're scared, just try. Just come on. Just try. I'll hold your hand. It'll be all right. There's some crazy people in prayer, and it's okay. It really will be all right. With mutual fervor and passion, all these were engrossed in prayer. So powerful. See, I kind of get a little bit itchy when we talk about the power of prayer and prayers, the whole thing in prayer. It's not really the prayer that's powerful, it's the Holy Spirit that's powerful. And in prayer, what we're doing is we're opening ourselves up, all circuits, to be connected to Him and to speak out, to receive in, first of all, His desires, His passion, His longing, and the authority that He mixes with that by the authority Jesus has placed in us. We speak those words out, and then there's power there. But it's not like we're creating it because we're praying. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that kind of gets a little bit off. It's really a conduit. Prayer and corporate prayer is about becoming a conduit of the Holy Spirit to say the things he once said with the authority that Jesus has put inside of you. We need the Holy Spirit in this process. I had a a dream recently is super surprising. In my whole life as a believer, I've only had four dreams that I knew were from the Lord. And um, I had one on February 27th. And when I woke up, I immediately knew it was the Lord. And I knew basically what the interpretation was. In the dream, we got in our little Hyundai. Diane was in the passenger seat. And I was driving. And one of my girls was in the back seat. And I knew where I was going, so I didn't even think about bringing my phone with its GPS. I just felt like I knew where I was going. And we are driving and driving and driving, and the roads start to look less familiar and starts to get a little darker, and the sun's going down, and starting to get concerned, and then the road dead-ended into this little bridge. It's like one of the wooden bridges. You've seen those? Like an old wooden bridge. You go over, and it's just the only place you can go. So I drove across that wooden bridge, and it got so narrow, I had to end up turning the car like this to have the wheels on the rail on one side. It was so narrow to get across. I'm like, oh, this is not good. This is not going to work. This is not sustainable. And so I finally got over the bridge. I got to the other side. And after some struggle of doing like a 30-point turn, I finally turned around and went back across the bridge going the other way. But the whole time of the dream, I kept feeling for all the familiar places where my phone were in the car. Anybody relate to that? The little cubby hole, the little hole where the, cu- the drink cups are, all of that. I kept feeling for that, and my phone's not there. Because I realized I didn't know where I was going. I thought I knew, 
but this is what the Holy Spirit said to me in the dream. (laughs) He said, you think you know where you're going, but you don't. And you need to take extra time to wait on me to get my mind to know where you're supposed to be going. He's the GPS. I'm like, every dream I've had has been correction from the Lord. This is a real thing. He's like, this knucklehead runs around so busy, the only time I can speak to him like that is when he's asleep. So just go to sleep, and uh, we'll put you under anesthesia, and then I'll I'll speak to you. So I'm like, okay, I take that as from you. That's That's real recent. That's real fresh. But here's the reality for us, and it's not just me. Come on, y'all, own this for yourself. You think you know where you're going, but you really don't. Because like Jesus, we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit, and if we don't, wait upon him. I always used to wonder this, Marie. I, I really did. When, when there'd be a prayer meeting scheduled, and it would be at your house, and we had them at our house as well, but, but you would always say, when I was praying about the prayer meeting today and about what the Lord wanted to do, I'm like, you praying about a prayer meeting? I thought that's what we were coming there for. But to know where we were going, and it finally dawned on me, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit's supposed to be the one who's directing. Because we're supposed to over and over and over again in the New Testament, pray in the Spirit, right? So we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit in our prayer life. And as a corporate people and a corporate body, he's calling us to pray in the Spirit and to pray His purposes, and to have heart preparation. And our getting together and praying together prepares our heart in a way that walking around the block by ourselves doesn't prepare us. It's really true. Edith Schaefer has a great quote. If you know Francis Schaefer, you may have heard that word. Some of you younger people are like, Francis Schaefer, who's that? Pretty famous author. They had a house in Switzerland. They lived in Switzerland, and they had a, a chalet there, that they called Labri, which means the shelter. And they determined that they were going to make that place a sanctuary for the Lord, and they would have people come in who were agnostic, who didn't believe in God, who were struggling for some reason, have them stay there. But the whole thing was powered by prayer. That was their mandate from the beginning. We're going to trust God for everything we need. We're going to trust the Lord to draw the people here that need to come here. And what happened over time was, yeah, people came there, and they heard about the gospel and heard about Jesus and turned to him who were agnostics their whole life. But, but what happened more is that there were people who were pastors who went there to go, I don't know how to pray. I'm a pastor. I don't know how to pray. It's number 12 on my priority of 1 through 12. So take me to somebody that can teach me how to pray. And so they went to Francis and Edith's house, house to learn how to pray. And their churches were transformed. I read about a guy who was telling how his life got transformed. Here's what, here's what Edith said. To live without prayer, being woven into every part of every day, is stupid, foolish, senseless, or it is an evidence that your belief in the existence of the Creator who has said we're to call upon Him is an unsure belief. So here's your two options. Do you like either one? Either you're stupid, how many like that option? Or you, your faith in what God said, how many are the promises of God for the inheritance that he's given you? If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. 
If you abide in me and my word abides in you, whatever you ask, I'll do it. Like we could have a whole sheet of prayer promises that are inheritance and prayer, but the problem is we don't really, really believe those or if we did, we would act on those. And we would begin to pray about everything. Why not? You said if you knock, the door will be open. If you ask, you'll receive. And if you seek, you'll find. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks on the door will receive. Do you believe that? Or was Jesus lying? This is the truth, what she said here. If we believe the promises of God about prayer in the New Testament and we ignore them, we're either stupid or we are stupid if we believe them. Because here's a treasure. I say the same thing with the Word of God. I told the students in Maranatha, like you've got a treasure in this Bible that is so many people have given their life as martyrs to translate the Scripture into the language of the people. And you have this treasure by the multitudes everywhere around you. It's in your backyard, but you don't want to pay 10 bucks to get a shovel. What in the world? Same thing's true of prayer. We have this enormous treasure of the promises of God that he has put out there in his own name. And I can tell you with authority, Jesus is not a liar. He rose from the dead, and that should settle the issue. What he said about prayer is true. You go, well, I prayed and didn't get answered. That's not what I asked you. Do you believe what he said? And the issue is us getting into right alignment with him. That takes heart preparation. That takes learning how to yield to the spirit of prayer. There is a little bit of an art to that. But anybody and everybody can do it. It's the air that we breathe. You go, oh, well, some people have a gift to pray. No, that's like, some, that's like saying some people have the gift of breathing. Every Christian has the gift to pray. He's called the Holy Spirit. He helps us in our weakness when we don't know what the heck we're doing. That's my paraphrase of Romans 8, 26. When you don't know what the heck you're doing, it's okay. You have a helper, and he's well able to take your weak foolishness, your preconceived ideas, and teach you to take hold with you and teach you how to pray. Here's the thing. you got a treasure. What are you going to do with it? That's what the Father's asking. What are we going to do with it? I still got time. Acts chapter 4. Let's look at the second corporate prayer meeting. Acts 4 verse 17. Love, love, love the book of Acts. And love this chapter. Acts 4 verse 17 we'll start with. You know, Peter got called. Peter and John got called before the Sanhedrin because they had healed the man. And that was not a good thing for the Jewish leaders, because they didn't want the gospel to spread, 
That's where we're picking up, verse 17. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. I find it amusing that they don't use his actual name. That, 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 that name, don't know. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people. Because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. When they had been released, what's the first thing they did? They went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, this looks to me like they're engrossed in prayer. It's their default. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Did, did, you, did you notice that they didn't pray, Lord, take notice of their threats and stop them from hurting us? Don't let them put me in prison again. That wasn't their first default. Their default was God, you get what you want. This is not about us. You give us boldness to continue to speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed together, corporately, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Verse 32, and the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but that all things were common property to them. Do you know that that shift in their heart occurred after they had a corporate prayer meeting also? So let's look at what happened in their corporate prayer meeting in chapter 4. Number one, they were refocused on their mission. They didn't get sidetracked because it was hard. God, what if they put us in prison? What if we lose our job? They're like, no. What if your word goes forth with boldness out of my mouth? 
They refocused. They were refilled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know you can be filled over and over and should be filled over and over and over with the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine because that's what idiots do. It's my paraphrase. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the will of God. There's a continual filling. Continually be being filled is how the Greek says it in Ephesians 5.18. You don't act the fool like the world does and go get intoxicated. But let your thrill come from the Holy Spirit filling you up over and over and over and over and over again. Be continually be being filled with the Spirit. That's what that verse means. So this is our lifestyle. This sounds to me like being engrossed in something. Do you? You follow me? Here's our problem with Christians, and here's our problem in prayer. Y'all don't take this as a throwdown. It's not. I'm on the same journey as you are. Is that we dabble in things. We'll hear a message about something, and we'll dabble in that for a little while. We'll read a book about something, and we'll dabble in that. We'll see a message on YouTube, and we'll dabble in that for a little while. But look, the, the power comes when we commit to a course that we know God is calling us to, and prayer is one of those. And when we learn and we go, whatever else I know to do in life, whatever else I'm good at or bad at, doesn't matter. I'm going to learn this one thing, how to connect my little shriveled up heart to the power of the Holy Spirit. If that's the only thing I ever learn in my life, you'll be successful. And it's going to take a little while. Y'all, it's okay to be in prayer meetings where it didn't seem like a lot happened. This is why the New Testament encourages us over and over again to persevere in prayer. Don't give up. Don't give up. Well, I wasn't feeling these. Well, I didn't say you were going to feel it. I just said pray. And I would do it. This is a real thing. And so, y'all, for your generation of feelers and for your personalities of feelers out there, I'm not a huge feeler. I'm learning to be more of a feeler. <laughs> but you're, you're at a disadvantage if your feeler is the thing that leads you. You're at a disadvantage as a believer if your feeler is the thing that leads you. And if your feeler is the one that discerns whether something is true or good or not, you're at a disadvantage. And so you have to overcome that. You overcome that by practice. You overcome that by telling your mind, shut up. I'm doing what Jesus called me to do, and I'm going to give him what he wants if it costs me everything. It's okay. Because that's the deal you made when you became a disciple, isn't it? Did you go sell everything when you got the treasure in the field? Or did you hold some of it back? Just asking. They refocused. They were refilled. They were restored to boldness. And there was a deep oneness of heart that was developed. I want to tell you something that's a real thing that I found in my life. The people that you pray with in the Holy Spirit, and I don't just mean in tongues. That's, that's part of it for sure. But the people that you pray with in the flow of the Holy Spirit, there's a heart connection that happens with them that you cannot get at a football game. You can't get it anywhere else because it's spiritual 
And there's a spiritual connection. And it's eternal and it's powerful. Our mandate for corporate prayer, and when we're gonna, I'm going to look at this verse in Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to look with me. Verse 18, this is our mandate from heaven for corporate prayer. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Right after Paul talks about the armor of God and our warfare, the very next thing he utters by the Holy Spirit is verse 18. With all prayer, this is our mandate, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. How many alls is that? Four alls. Does that sound like a life that's engrossed to you? Because it does to me. It sounds like a life that this is your default. Okay, you're going to pray with all kinds of prayer and petition because there's different kinds of prayer. You're going to pray at all times. You're going to pray for all the saints, and you're going to pray with all perseverance. That means you hang in there and you, you keep praying, even when you're not feeling it. So here's, here's five parts of our mandate for prayer, and then we're going to take communion together because we'll probably need to then, right? Here's, here's the five parts in this verse. Number one, this is the mandate of our prayer. The Lord is calling us for prayer to be a lifestyle and not an add-on. He, he really is calling us there. And y'all, I want to encourage you, if you're not there, this is not a beat down, this is not guilt. Do I have a long way to go? Absolutely, absolutely. I've grown, but I still have a long way to go. And there's more, and I feel the Spirit beckoning me. There's more. You think you know where you're going, but you really don't. Elder, there's more. Prayer is a lifestyle, not an add-on. Paul's theology of building the kingdom has prayer at its very center. I mean, you can look at these verses. There's 10 times in his letters he asked people to pray for him and his mission. 10 times. That's a lot. And he uses words like this all the time. I'm always praying for you. I never cease praying for you. I'm praying for you day and night. I'm agonizing like a woman in prayer, in labor, so that Christ will be formed in you. At the center of his theology of how things work and happen in the kingdom of God is part of that is obviously the Holy Spirit does it, but he does it with our partnership. And so he's calling us into deeper partnership with him. Things don't just automatically happen without us obeying and taking our place. That's why putting in our supply is all important. And Paul actually uses that phrase about prayer a couple of times in the scripture. One in Philippians chapter one where he says, I'm in prison now writing this letter, but the supply that you're putting in through your prayers is sustaining me. That's so powerful. 
It's not religious. Y'all, prayer is not religious. It's connecting with Almighty God as a conduit for him to flow through us. So powerful. Number one, it's a lifestyle, not an add-on. Number two, we must pray in the Spirit, in connection with the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to do that if we learn nothing else. Number three, he says, be on the alert. The Greek phrase there means to lie awake in sleepless nights. How many like that? Okay, nobody so far? Can I, can I get one? How many like that? This, no, this is it, being on the alert. Why? Because eternal things are at stake. That's why it's important. This is not just convenience. This is God's purposes, and that's why it's important. Be on the alert. Number four, be consistent and persistent in prayer is our calling and our mandate. Again, y'all, if, if the devil is, going to, is beating you with guilt and condemnation, then you need to recognize that and tell him where the door is. Because this isn't a beatdown. This is an invitation to partner with Almighty God in accomplishing the things that only He can do. But He said, I want you to be my conduit, will you? Who wants to sign up to be a conduit for God to accomplish His eternal purposes? This is why prayer is connected with bearing fruit and fruit that remains. Oh, I thought we'd just come in here. Good message. No. Might be part of it. Hopefully there's some teaching and inspiration that happens. But the real deal of Christianity is actually partnering with God yourself and putting in your supply yourself because he's given you a supply to put in to accomplish his purposes. Be consistent and persistent. That's a relentless pursuit. So, so let me just say this again. Probably everybody in here has had this experience where you have been discouraged in prayer and you go, I'll never be able to pray like Marie. <laughs> it's okay. The Lord didn't want you to pray like Marie. He wants you to pray like you. He wants you to take your little narrow vine that you think, how can it be you know, a branch? How can I get the life of Jesus and connect it to him? On whatever level. And I want to tell you something, something that the Lord helped me that set me free. When I had a business and I'm working 60 hours a week, and I'm also doing church for a while, home church, and also when Heart of the Father started, insane schedule, totally unsustainable on time. And I'm complaining to the Lord, crying out in some ways, saying, God, what? How am I going to do this? Like, I can't do anything well. I can't raise my kids well. I can't do my business well. I can't do church well. I can't do my relationship with you well. I can't do anything well. And the Lord, this is what he did. I'll just, I'll just share with you what he said to me. I'm not asking you to do what you cannot do. All I'm asking you to do, little widow, is to give me your might. And I will take that. And I say that that's giving more than all of the others. So in your season of life, if you go, I've got little kids, I get that. The Lord gets that. You're sowing into eternity, raising those children. But maybe you're like Susanna Wesley, John and Charles's mom. She had 10 kids. And they had a one-room house. And she did her prayer time by telling the kids, look, 
this hour from 9 to 10 o'clock, y'all go in the corner and you can be quiet. And she would take her shawl and cover her head in her chair and she prayed for that hour. Well, I would pray if I had a prayer room with a nice rocker in it and a candle. And How about a chair and a shawl? Who cares? The word of the Lord through Nike. Just do it. Don't get, you know, paralysis by analysis is a real thing. And you start thinking through all this and go, I'm going to read 12 books on prayer. No, no, no. You do that. But just start. Like today. And just start with your little might, with what you got, and say, Lord, I really don't know how to pray. And he's like, I knew that. But now that you say it, I can help you. His heart for his people is great. He's not interested in beating us down. He's interested in calling us higher as a people. He's looking for conduits. He's got so much power flowing out of his power plant with hydroelectric coming out because he's got a lot of water flow. He just said, just somebody plug into this. Can I have some conduits? Just come, take it, take this, get my heart on one single thing and just start to say it. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.